0: Hey everybody! This is Keach Rainwater. I am your designated drummer, and today I thought that I would talk a little bit about uh, being a band member, like being ownership in a band, being part owner in a band, uh, or being, say, like a side guy with the band, like a, a paid to play per show, and you're not really a member of the band, but you you're in the band, but you don't own the band, kind of thing, um, which. You know, is an interesting thing because I, you know, throughout the years have been a part of both. I was in a very successful band in the late '80s called Canyon, and uh, we had a lot of radio success. And I say a lot. I mean, we had we had a fair amount of radio success. People knew who we were. Uh, we lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but we our record uh, contract was out of Nashville. Um, so. You know, we were back and forth out of Nashville a lot, and I uh, got to see a lot of sort of record company things go on. And uh, we did a lot of shows in Nashville for the record company and things like that. Uh, but I never really got to know sort of the ins and outs of being an owner in a band, part owner in a band, until I joined Lone Star. And in the beginning, it was a band called Texas And I'm, I'm sure Lone Star fans probably already know this, but um, back in 1994, I was called by our guitar player, Michael Britt, who I had worked with before in Canyon. And uh, he asked me if I was interested in coming to Nashville and joining the band, this band that they had, that I already knew who they were. And I, I knew that they had formed a band and I kind of kept up kept up with it a little bit. And um, finally, you know, he just asked me to come to Nashville and maybe just play and jam a little bit and see if it was something I would be interested in and all that. Um The guys in the band, uh, Texas Sea, already knew who I was because I had been in Canyon for five years and been in videos and things like that and uh, known all around the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we were all basically from the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, and played clubs and things like that around there and then eventually everybody sort of migrated to nashville and i was kind of sort of like the last one the last train to clarksville right the last train to nashville uh i was the last one to come up from the dallas area and join this crazy uh thing called nashville the nashville music business and uh, i'm really glad that i did because um once i got to nashville and i got there and uh we jammed a little i had a rehearsal uh space set up and They were sort of auditioning drummers. I think there was a couple other drummers they wanted to audition. Um, And I just went in there and played a little bit. And when I heard them sing, when I heard Richie and John and Dean and Michael and everybody sing this amazing four-part harmony, I was just blown away. I just thought, man, God, they're so talented as far as the writing of their songs. Uh, the original songs and it was it sort of turned out to be a lot better than I had heard they were. I heard that they were sort of playing weekends and things like that and that they had just only recently gone uh, full time uh, playing gigs all week long, you know basically quitting your day job and and basically making a living at playing music uh, all over traveling and that kind of thing. So they had gotten a van and a trailer and that kind of thing. So uh, I had been in the van and trailer situation before. Uh, for quite a while so I was already accustomed to that and that kind of thing. Um, but I will say that that going into the whole Lone Star experience, I was sort of the only one that had sort of already done that you know I'd already been, had a record deal, you know, been in a band with a record deal. And we did, you know, we did Fanfare and we did, you know, the IFCO show and we did the the Opry. And we uh, did all those things that you had to do, doing music videos. We did eight music videos with, with uh, Canyon. Uh, and uh, I, although I did not play on those albums, the Canyon albums, I was there during the recording of those albums in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And that was really a cool experience to see a whole album being, put together from the very beginning with all those session guys those amazing session guys and muscle shoals uh that are you know at the time i didn't know how famous they were you know roger hawkins and uh, owen hale the drummer uh all the david hood the bass player and ralph isell was the bass player on the canyon stuff uh in the studio who played with shenandoah he a lot of people i don't know if they know that but ralph Azell, who's uh, passed away god rest his soul he was a great great bass player and he was he was a session guy i guess before he joined shenandoah and we got to meet him and get to know some of those guys there it was such a great experience to see all that but when i come to nashville and join this band they were all sort of new to it you know they this was all brand new to them and uh it was kind of neat to sit in you know alongside these guys and watch them experienced the same things we experienced when we first got our record deal and started doing radio and, and uh, like fanfare and things like that. And uh, I was just kind of along for the ride there. Um, But I was so amazingly gracious that the guys in Texas C offered me to now not right away, it was they weren't sure if you know, of course, nobody's sure if something's going to work out in the very beginning. So it was kind of a contingency thing. It was like they said, you can join the band and be like a member of the band. Uh, if after six months, uh, everything's cool and hunky-dory and everybody likes everybody and we're getting along good, um, then we'll take a look at it and we'll, you know, make you a an honorary member, like a full member of the band. Uh, so that was fair enough. That, that was perfectly fine. So we went and did... We were still a bar band at the time. We still went and did all our bar gigs and things like that. And uh after about I think it was about 8 months or so, I finally went to the guys and said, "Are we good?" you know, and they said, "Yep, we're good." So, uh we that's when we started talking to the people at RCA, which BNA, the one side of RCA. It was like uh, RCA and BNA were two record labels that they had that um that was basically owned by RCA. Anyway, um we uh, Signed a deal with them, and we went through all that stuff that you go through when you get a brand new record deal, Um, signing of the contracts and um, talking to to the producer, figuring out who's going to be the producer, which at that time we already had a producer picked out, Don Cook. And uh, there was a lot of excitement built up about the band, and we were the new project at RCA. And there was a lot of great expectations and things like that. Um, and it was just a fun to sit back and watch it happen again, you know, with these guys. And these guys were kind of new to it. Um, they had been writing for a long time for the for this project, you know, the uh, Richie and uh, Dean and Michael and John Rich. They had been writing like crazy and actually put together a little album uh, before we got a record deal. That was just a texas Texasy. It was like a cassette tape that they were selling at gigs and things like that. It was, I thought it sounded really, really amazing. And uh, sometimes that still pops up. But uh, um, that, getting to go in and record an actual real album, like in, in the big studio with the big guys, the big guns, uh, that was really cool to sit back and watch all that happen. And then we put our first album out and uh, started coming up. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was the difference between... Being in a side guy in a band, like when I was in Canyon, I was not a part of that band financially. I mean, I was—you saw me on the record labels, and I was in all the videos and the pictures and all that stuff. Uh, but actually, the the band was owned by and run, owned and run by Johnny Boatwright and Steve Cooper, the lead singer and the guitar player. Uh, Johnny Boatwright was a guitar player, and Steve Co- Cooper was the lead singer, and they both. Uh, ran that band and ruled that band, and uh, they owned the band, they owned everything. So when, I guess, you know, financially, when uh, money started coming in for record sales and things like that, Johnny and Steve were the ones who made that money. Um, But we, uh, everybody except Johnny and Steve, there was a five of us, a five-piece band. Um, Actually, we had more than that. We had five on stage, and we had a couple of uh, um, sound guys and crew guys and things like that. I was about eight or 10 of us, eventually in total, and we all made a salary. We just had a weekly salary that we made, and it was enough to live on, and we were just doing that. The decision in my part was made to do that because I wanted the exposure. At the time before Canyon, I had people that sort of knew who I was, but I had not really I had not really been on an album cover before, ever. I, I was just always a side guy. So um, this was a chance for me to get my... My face, my mug on the album cover and uh, and to get my name out there where people, I was like a member of a band, you know, and even though financially I wasn't, I still was perceived as one of those guys. Now, one of the problems with that is, um, now I would never be in the position position to complain, mind you. But uh, but one of the problems with that is you're making your salary, and you're you know you're paid to play the shows. And our deal then was whether you do one show or seven in in a given week, you got paid your salary. So if we just did a show on a Saturday night, and the rest of the week was off, we still got paid our salary, and it was enough to live on. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to live on, and it was enough to keep us going. And the exposure alone from Canyon, you know, and just getting people, getting my face out there and my name and being on the videos, and it was worth it to me. I was about 25, 26 years old when I joined and uh, I was young and I had a lot to learn and I learned a lot. Um, I also made a lot of mistakes along the way too. Um, and I will say that it was tough in some instances and in that you are a member of the band as far as people know, and you have to go do the fanfare thing. And in fanfare, we worked. We were workaholics at fanfare. fanfare. We um, got up there and signed autographs, not just like an hour or two, like some artists did, would come into fanfare and they would book their booth. They would go to their booth and they would put a sign up that said, you know, uh, Reba McIntyre is signing from 7.30 to 9.30 or something like that, let's say. Um, Well, we went and we signed from the, minute they opened, pretty much till the minute they closed. We were there all day. We weren't going to miss out on selling albums or T-shirts or whatever. We had all our merch and stuff there. And Johnny and Steve, once again, being good business people that they were, and that they are, um, they made the decision to, that we would work the whole day. You know, So we signed autographs all day long. And that is, I mean, it sounds fun, but when you're up there uh, with pen and uh, Sharpie and you're sitting down on a stool or standing up or whatever all day long with people coming through. Now, it's really neat that you get to meet the fans and you get to meet some people like that, and that's, that's all fine and good. But uh, after about the – and it's a week long. the Fanfare was a week. So after about the third day, I, I was just about ready to not ever hold a Sharpie in my hand again, and I think my signature went from like – Keech Rainwater to sort of like blah, 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 you know. <laughs> I'd, signed my, I'd signed my autograph so many times. It was starting to get pretty, and I think the guy, I got criticized a lot in the beginning uh, when I first joined Lone Star. They were all signing their name like Dean Sams, Michael Britt, you know, and mine was still rain Rainwater with a K and a line. And they criticized me because that's not a – you can't even read that. And then I remember one time seeing Tim McGraw's signature and his, it was a T and a line. And I was like, yep, I, I know exactly where that is born out of right there. <laughs> so, uh, it wasn't much longer after that, that we saw, um, us in Lone Star. We saw, uh, that Alabama had signed something like a guitar or something like that. And it was basically, they just put their first names on there. It was like, Teddy, Randy, Mark, you know? So we saw that. and um, we thought, hey, you know, if it's good enough for Alabama, it's good enough for us. So we started signing our names, you know, Keach, Dean, Michael, Richie, you know, that kind of thing. I'm drinking coffee right now, so please excuse the, the frequent pause for a sip. Um, gotta have coffee, coffee's very, very important. Especially when I sit down to do these podcasts, I've gotta have coffee. Um, so anyway, back to the story, uh, we, Um, what were expected in Canyon, we were expected to go and sign autographs all day long. And by the end, and some days, some days, and this is really, really hard. It sounds terrible, but some days after signing all day long and just being completely exhausted, we still had to go do a show like the IFCO show, the International Fan Club Organization show uh, ran by the Johnson sisters. Sweet, sweet ladies. And a, a couple of them have passed away already and God rest their souls um, but they were super great ladies. They used to run the IFCO uh, organization and they had the IFCO show every year at Fanfare. And we were always so uh, amazing. It was so amazing to go and play that show. We were always so glad to do it because it was a huge, huge crowd out at the, used to be the racetrack there, out at, where they used to have Fanfare out at the racetrack in Nashville. And they had the big stand, the big, uh, you know, where the fans would sit and watch the big show. On, uh, that was set, The stages were set up on the racetrack, and they had two stages that you would flop back and forth. They would set up one stage while the other one was, bands were playing. And uh, so that when they announced the next band, they were already ready to go, and they could just keep that entertainment rolling. And back in those days, you know, in the 80s, it was like, you know, Gary Morris, and Steve Warner, and Alabama, and Restless Heart and, and this little band called Canyon. And we'd get up there, and I remember the Johnson sisters saying that we were one of their favorite bands that they'd ever had on there, and definitely their favorite of those years that we did it. We were their favorite band because we were kind to them, and they were kind to us, and we would dress really nice, and we were always on time, always on time with Canyon that was a thing that was a thing that Johnny and Steve always instilled in us was always be insanely early you know like just like absolutely on time for everything and we were and we got very um, very posit- positively commended from the producer of Hee Haw yes I was on Hee Haw I was on the show Hee Haw I was in the Cornfield County and doing the gloom despair and all that stuff but we also played some of our music and uh, we got down there on the stage to play And at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we were tuned and ready to go, dressed, makeup, the whole thing, ready to go. And he came down after we had done our songs. We just did them one take, one take, and then we were done because we knew our songs so well. And he came down and shook our hands and said, guys, I have to tell you. And now I I, I will say that I don't remember the, the gentleman's name that was the producer there, but he had been there for over 20 years, and Hee Haw was a long, long running series. And for the whole time that he had been there, he said that he had never met a band I'd never seen a band before, ever been completely on time, 100%, do the songs, one take through, and be done. and uh, Or as prepared as we were, he kind of put it. And uh, I thought that was really great. And that was due to Steve Cooper and Johnny Boatwright just being very, very adamant about everybody being punctual and being, being prepared and that kind of thing. And I, that was one of the big lessons I learned being in Canyon. But, uh, you know, we would do the IFCO show and sometimes we would uh, have to go do a charity or something like that. And there was always a softball game and there's always things. And uh, it's a good thing I was young because I would have been I would have just died by the end of a day like that, you know, sign all day long from like I think they opened at 11 o'clock in the morning at Fanfare for signing autographs. And then you signed all day and then you had other things to do. And then there was the band would go out to dinner and all that stuff. It was There were long, long days that we basically didn't get paid for. Um, we didn't get paid extra for, I'll say that. We got paid our weekly salary, which was our deal, you know. So, um, you know, that's just, that's another thing, you know, it's just like, what deal do you cut when you're first joining a band? Um, now, if you put a band together, you're a drummer or a mus- any other musician, and you put in a band together, you know, obviously you're putting that band together. You own that band. I mean, you're, you're the sort of, you know, you're the founder of that band, and you... Can if that band does move on to make records and uh, play big gigs and things like that and ha- is, is a very good income maker, then you get to share in that. But you also get to share in a lot of the headaches and things along the way. Uh, there are a lot of those. Um, now, I do remember when, we, when I first joined Lone Star or texas you know, we, we, we actually changed our name to Lone Star when we got our record deal. And we were out on the road making music, and we had to, one of the things we had to do it was, uh, you know, people think that when you get a record deal and you're you make a record and all that, oh, we're big stars now. We're gonna go buy a new Cadillac and we're gonna be rich. Well, let me tell you that it's far from that. It's it's almost like saying, um, okay, you have to quit your job. Which, when I say that, I mean quit our job, our day, our quit your day job. Our day job at that time was we were a bar band and we we had bar gigs booked. You know, we had places that we played for like. You know, Tuesday through Saturday in Dallas or uh, uh, Tuesday through Sunday in Calgary or wherever it was, we would play the whole week there at some club. We play dance music and then we would play our music, too. We got to lump in a couple of our own original songs, but that was our bread and butter then. Well, now the record label comes along and. You know, they gave us a little bit of a signing bonus just to kind of, you know, have something to buy clothes with and to, you know, to live on while we're making the record and that kind of thing. But once the record's made and they sort of send you out there, you got to go out to promote the record. And this time, you can't be a bar band; you have to go out and be a recording artist. And I remember our manager at the time, Bill Carter, saying, uh, "Guys, uh, you have to make the decision. You got to be either a bar band or a recording artist. You can't be both." And so um, we had to basically cancel all of our ones that we had on the books uh, and try, or try and find a fill in or something like that and uh, or go finish those out. And then we wouldn't be able to do our sort of artist thing until those gigs were finished. And we didn't we went and did those things. Even when the album was done, we went and finished those gigs and. Uh, as a bar band, you know, like Tuesday through Saturday, knowing that we had this record deal and we were getting, we'd been signed and we, you know, great things were expected and that kind of thing. So um, we, but we had to basically quit our job and go out there and play these one night shows as Lone Star, as this new band on RCA that nobody's ever heard of. And, uh, and, you know, especially because we'd been booked as texas E for so long, we couldn't even say, hey, we're texas uh in the places that we had played before because uh, we changed our name to Lone Star. So um, if people kind of knew us and they had talked to us, they knew that that's who we were. But, you know, we would go back to some of these same clubs as just a one-night thing only as Lone Star. And then, of course, somebody, a regular there would go, hey, that was that the same band played uh, two months ago. But um, anyway... So we went and did the uh the artist thing, you know, where we went out. Now one thing about that I will say is that I remember we had kind of a joke between us. We weren't able to make any kind of really salary then because we only had enough money in our gigs, our one nighters that we were doing on these clubs to pay for we had to hire a steel player and a fiddle player and a sound man, and I think that was it. I think that was just those three. We had to pay those people uh nightly per night, you know, we had to pay them uh a a show pay basically, and um, and we were able to pay ourselves uh, the owners of Lone Star. We were able to pay ourselves twenty five dollars a day per diem, and the joke was, you know, twenty five dollars a day whether you need it or not, because sometimes we, you know, sometimes they would provide the food and and of course the hotel was provided and things like that. But still, um, we had to you know make a measly twenty five dollars a day, and uh, so you know. You think that getting a record deal and making a record and all that, you're going to be big and rich and famous right off the bat. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't happen that way. (laughs) It's kind of like uh, there's a lot of faith involved in that and a lot of sort of uh, a leap of faith. You have to get out on that limb and hope that that limb doesn't break off and fall because a lot of artists, they did that. They went and got their record deal and they made their record and they put a single out hoping that it would that it would stick, and that people would love it, and people would, you know, burn up the phones for the radio station and say, "Hey, I love that that dude, that new guy that uh, y'all that y'all just played." Um, so we were always just hoping that people would like us, and that we would, the label wouldn't drop us after a, a single or two, thinking like, you know, oh, they can't, they're not able to really get connect to an audience or whatever. But as it turned out, we did do well, and thanks to the great promotions at RCA and Tom Broderick and Scott Michaels over there at the RCA label the great promotions team there they were able to send our song out and say good things about it and get them to play it and and of course choosing the right song is important too you got to be in a new band you have to choose the right song um that you think would be a good starter for a band, you know, not maybe not a ballad, but maybe not something too off the wall, but sort of middle of the road. So in our case, it was Tequila Talkin'. The song Tequila Talkin' it sounds a nice country song. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, too over the top in any way. It was wasn't a ballad. It was a mid tempo song, um, and it had great lyrics, and it was a great great song. And it went all the way on the charts to number. I think it was a, like a top ten or something. It was in the top ten. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I want to say it would it was uh, it was right, hovered right around top five, I think. With within the top ten, it was somewhere around five or six, I think. Now the guys in the band will probably tell me that I'm wrong, but it was somewhere in there. It didn't make it to number one, but it did make it up quite a ways. And uh, the funny thing about that was when that song came out, "Tequila Talkin." People knew who the song. People knew the song. They didn't know who did it. You know, so a lot of times we would play some place, and we would play tequila. You know, here's our song we have on the radio right now. It's called Tequila Talking, and we would play it. And people at our shows would go, "Oh, those are the guys who do that song." I didn't know who the name was because a lot of times a radio station will play the song as they would agree to you know to put it on light rotation or medium rotation, and then they would play the song, and they wouldn't say they wouldn't back sell it or anything or pre sell it. They wouldn't say that was Lone Star. Uh, they would just play it and then in a block of like three or four songs in a row or something like that. And then people would call and say, who was that? You know, who was that band that did that tequila song? And then that, um, would uh prompt the radio station to move it to maybe medium rotation or heavy rotation or whatever so that song did pretty well and then no news was our next song that we put out and so no news is kind of the thing that concreted us to the label i mean it was like a hit it made it to number one and it was the number one for like four weeks in a row and it was just like we were the new hot band at that point so I was like you know we uh we made it we we get to keep our record deal and we get to make another record and all that and so we i think we sold enough records um, back then, with with no news as a hit, and uh, we won the ACM Vocal Group of the Year that year and everything because of our hit, no news and all that. So it was uh, it was official. Lone Star it's a hit. Now w- monetarily, when that song came out and we were able to tour and charge more money for our shows and things like that it's like oh that's that band that has that song no news so we were able to command a little bit more money so then we were able to pay ourselves a little bit of a salary starting then you know so but there was a short time that we made our 25 dollars a day whether we needed it or not uh but it was that was a reality and that was uh you know we struggled for a little while to keep everybody paid, but that was our number one thing. We just wanted to keep our crew and keep our uh, other musicians, our fiddle player and our steel player and our sound man, we wanted to keep them paid and keep them with us so we didn't have to keep hiring different people each time. And that, that worked out really well, and um, we moved on to do a second and third album, and then um, then we made the Lonely uh, the lonely Grill album was our third album, and uh, that thing with the song Amazed did went to meteoric heights that I can't even Comprehend. I mean, that song was played so many times, number one for nine weeks in a row and everything was all good. And that, at that time I was very, very glad that I did what I did, that I moved to Nashville and I took that opportunity that was given to me to join this band. Um, you know, and I could have, I could have very easily made the decision to just stay a side guy at that, you know, when, in those early stages, because I think that the band wasn't really a hundred percent looking to make the drummer, um, a part of the actual group. As a matter of fact, they had been told by somebody, the manager or a, or a, a producer or somebody, they had been told, you know, don't you don't have to make your drummer a part of the band. You could just be you four guys, you know, and then you don't have to add a fifth member. But um, they to to the guys, Dean and Michael and John and Richie, they got together and talked about it, and they just to their you know to my astonishment, they uh, and to their credit, they decided to have me as a member of the band they thought enough of me i guess as a drummer and a band member um and a a sort of um sort of one of the guys kind of thing that they um they decided decided to include me on the the ownership of the band and i'm very very thankful for that and i've been in this band since 94 and that's uh you know that that's a long time that's um that's uh what uh, 27 years i think 27 27 years 28 years um and I'm very thankful for where I am. But, you know, it, it could have been totally different. Um, I could have just stayed a side guy or I could have decided to go with another band because um, I didn't really want to move to Nashville at that time. Uh, but joining this band, I knew I would have to, so I did. And I'm very, very glad that I did because things worked out great. I don't know what I would have been doing now if I hadn't, if I would have formed another band or if I have joined another band or been playing for someone like Reba or Garth or something like that. Um and that, that could have happened because at that time, in the early 90s, Garth was was out and he was kind of you know, getting started. And when Canyon ended in 92, uh, 92-ish, when I left Canyon, Garth was just, had just started in like 90, 90 or 91. And uh, so I could have auditioned and I could have maybe gotten that gig. I don't know. Um, I could have gotten a gig with an artist. And so I could have stayed a side guy um, and done that. Or I, as it turned out i joined lone star and i am still a member of lone star thankfully and we are still doing shows and still doing well um but uh you know a lot of the benefits of obviously being in a band are you know notoriety um, longevity uh the uh, monetarily you know money like uh, financially you know you can you can uh, make a lot of money if you're smart with it and you get in a good band and you stay in that band and the band stays together and all this, these things happen, you can you can make a good living with it, you know, and be able to do what we love to do, which is play drums or play a musical instrument for a living. And that's a great way to do it. Another advantage is, uh, of, of being part owner in the band is writing opportunities. Um, the ability to write with other writers and um, get in the room with some really famous writers would happen a lot easier if they knew you were sort of the drummer with Lone Star you know like it's uh oh yeah we know him um he's he's a drummer with Lone Star whereas if I was just some a side guy or something they it wouldn't be as the door wouldn't be as open for that because they know that if I'm an own, owner in the band and I'm a member of the band and they write a song with me then I will most likely pitch it to Lone Star and it might get recorded so um, that's kind of how some songwriters look at it Like, um, and I've had songwriters before that I've sat and wrote with they'll the first question is, is when are you guys cutting again when are, you, when, are you, when are you guys cutting your next album you know like they want to know uh, if the song that we write today is it going to have a chance to get pitched and is Lone Star going to be interested so they would sort of uh, bend their thinking into like well let's write a song that Lone Star might want to cut and that kind of thing, and there's a real art to that, you know. Uh, Tim McGraw sounds totally different than Alabama or, or uh, you know, Restless Heart. You know, they um, you can custom write a song uh, with the the wording and the melodies and the uh, the instrumentation and all that uh, to sort of fit a particular band. And I've seen that happen a lot, where writers will sit and custom write a song for someone that they think that might want to cut it, like Tim McGraw or something like that. But um, anyway, back to being in a band and owning part of the band. Uh, another good example or another good uh, thing that you can get out of it is uh, is other opportunities. Like um, one of the things that I was interested in when I, even when I was in Canyon was cinematography and b- directing music videos and things like that. And I was just really interested in that. It's more than a hobby. I mean, I had cameras and I shot a lot of behind the scenes footage and things like that. But I always in my mind, I always thought bigger than that. I always thought I would like to be when and I always saw myself as a someday as being a video director, because in a music video, it just happens pretty much in one day. The shooting, you can just shoot a music video in a day and then you, you know, everybody goes home and you're you end up with this footage that you then will edit into a music video as opposed to doing like a movie or something like that, where it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks, which I didn't think I was going to be able to do being in a band. I would have to quit the band almost to work on a movie, or we'd have to take a year off or something like that. But um, but music videos, spot on. I thought, that's me. That's what I want to do. And I was able to, because I was a member of this band, I was able to walk into places here in Nashville that rent equipment and they sell equipment and they um, – uh, rent, you know, lighting and things like that. I was able to go in there and sort of tell them who I was and what that I was interested in stuff. And that really sort of just opened a lot of doors for me because, and, and I know that, and I know that. I know that if I was just some Joe Schmo off the street walking in and say, Hey, can I take a look at that camera? Um, they would say, Hey, buddy, you know, step back behind the counter, please. But the fact that I was in Lone Star, uh, I was able to make some friends there. And I think that they probably thought of it like, uh, Oh, he he might end up directing a Lone Star video someday. So yeah, so they let me come back there and check out all the cameras and and I have eventually ended up buying a really expensive camera from them, one that they had, was in their rental for a long time, but um, it was about a $50,000 film camera that I uh, had a little bit of money you know, from record royalties and things like that. And uh, that's what I invested in. I invested in a 16 millimeter, really good quality camera. And then from then on, from that point, I started really learning about cinematography and about directing and things like that. And And I think that those doors were definitely opened up to me uh, because I was a member of the band Lone Star. You know, and not only monetary, like the money that I had made from record royalties and things like that, uh, I was able to buy this expensive camera that otherwise I would have had to take in a bank loan out for or something like that. And then I would have had to be, I've got to go out and direct videos for a living because i got to pay for this camera. But I was able to buy it as a curiosity, as an investment. And then I was able to go out and start. And, of course, one of the first videos that I did was a Lone Star video. And I was on the road with my camera and all that. So It was uh, shooting a lot of behind-the-scenes footage. And that actually ended up t- in being our video called With Me for our song called With Me. And uh, that was just, I just learned so much. For that and uh, being in the band also gave me the advantage as a director because i'm in the band i'm everywhere i'm in the studio i'm at uh, um close fittings for videos i'm at other music videos that we're shooting and i can shoot all this behind the scenes footage uh in the studio and on photo shoots and things like that but um if you were an artist and you just hired a camera crew to come out for say even a week well, the chances are you probably wouldn't get footage in the studio and at a photo shoot and at uh, on the bus and behind, you know, on stage and all that stuff. But as it were, uh, in in my case, I was able to get uh, film footage of uh, about a year of, of just being on the road with my 16 millimeter camera, loading it with film and shooting all, every day and going out there. And I had so much film footage, it made it for a great video. And uh so just little opportunities like that were um, definitely, you know, uh, uh, in line with with my career, and would not probably would not have happened as easily if I hadn't been a member of the band. Um, but you know, I, I will say that being a side guy is perfectly okay if you go in and the band is already established, and or an artist is looking for a drummer. There's nothing at all wrong with being a side guy, you know. And I did it for a long time, and I was very happy doing that. Um, because I didn't have any obligations, I could, you know. Number here's some of the advantages of being a side guy. I'll say, um, you can, you know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying to not be loyal to your artist, but the fact that if a better gig did come along, say if you're playing with a an artist that's, you know, maybe had a few hits and isn't a huge artist, and then someone like Garth comes along and says, I really want that drummer, you have the you can quit and go be you know with that artist and I've seen um, I've seen great drummers do that they've moved along from starting with one and then when that tour would be over or something they would start looking for another gig and they would play in the studio for a little while and then they would get on another tour and they would do that and they made you know they just made a great living because they're free they can do whatever they want they can choose um, which gigs to do and which gigs to turn down and all that when you're in a band like Lone Star that's your gig and that's pretty much all you do as you, I'm just the drummer for Lone Star. That, those are the gigs that I do. Um, now, through the years, I have been involved in a few little um, cover bands, you know, just when we were off on our off time. I know Michael, our guitar player, Michael, and I had a, a little band that we played in uh, that was, we just played cover, like rock music, you know, just in little clubs and stuff around here. And we just did that for fun. We did not do that for the money. Matter of fact, I remember it, it actually cost us more money than it did, than we actually made, you know, so. But it was fun to, Kind of let out your all your aggressions, playing rock music and that kind of thing, and uh, that was fun. But being a side guy is uh, is a, is a really I think it's a it's a fun way to go because you can choose the gigs that you do, you can go on auditions, and you can uh, also if it's a different style, you can change your style a little bit. If you're with one artist that's has more of a, a rock feel, then you know you can do that and if it's another artist that has a little more jazzy thing going on you know you can do that it's always good to learn new styles and to bring what you do to a situation that calls for a certain sound you know it's a challenge and and I think that's fun and um, uh, you know and another good thing about being a side guy is uh, all the little extra things that whereas if you were in the band ownership you had to do for free uh, as a side guy you 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 get your show pay you know you can get paid so in some cases especially in the beginning stages you can make more money uh as a side guy than you can as a recording artist because well you know you don't have to sit there and wait for the money to come in you know you're a side guy and you get paid every show and uh so that's kind of fun that's kind of cool um i've known some guys that have preferred they would rather be uh, a side guy than than have to be in a band and that kind of thing because you just never know you just never know with the band it's a gamble it's basically a gamble you put your chips out there and you hope that they're going to pay off you know and in the case of uh, Lone Star it definitely paid off for me and 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 to the band's credit it is solely because of people like Dean and Michael uh, that have set for you know many 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 hours and trying to figure things out logistics and making good decisions and uh and i will say one of the hard things about being in a band and having five members in a band because in the beginning it was john rich richie mcdonald dean sams michael Britt and me the five of us every time a decision had to be made management would have to call or email every single one of us to get a yes or a no on things like uh are you okay to do this benefit? Uh, we have a video shoot coming up. What is this day work for you? Um, we're talking about the next music videos, and do you have any thoughts on that? You know, just all these things that they have to have, and a lot of times they would be waiting to hear from one guy. You know, they heard from four, and they're still waiting to hear from one guy, and they would send you emails saying, uh, "Hey, I'm waiting on you to make this decision. Can you go ahead and give me a yes or no on this?" So, a lot of times. Uh, things would get slow because they were waiting on five decisions five five yes or five no's or whatever um so anyway um that's one thing about being ownership in a band and um being a side guy you don't have to deal with all that stuff um one thing that's very important about being a musician is being a good decision maker you know you have to make good decisions i've known guys that were great, great players that just didn't make the right decisions. They just They stayed. They they were loyal to, and there's nothing wrong with loyalty. I think that's a great thing. But to be loyal to something that in your that you know in your mind is not going to uh, is not going to reach uh, great heights. You know that it's it's not. It's just going to level off at some point. You have to look at a situation and decide: Do I stay with this uh, this group or this situation? Uh, for the long the long haul and turn down all other offers because I'm loyal or do I have to look at this and say what is going to be my best decision here and you know in the case of well twice in my career I've had to sit down with a sheet of paper and the way I do it is uh, when I'm faced with a big decision like that of which which band to join should I stay with this band or should I move on to this band is I take a sheet of paper and I take a pencil and I write a line right down the, draw a line right down the middle. And on the left side are all is the this band, like staying with this band. And then I draw another line in between that that says good and bad. You know, what are the good sides? What are the pros and what are the cons? And then on the other side of the line, on the right side, it's the other gig, the other band that I have to make, that I have to decide on. And what are the pros and cons for that? And so I make a list of the pros of this gig and you know or the some of the pros might be um being a side guy i don't have to commit to anything i can blah 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 you know and the cons are well the money might not be as good and uh there's a lot of travel involved and blah 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 and then i'll go to the, the other side and list out all the pros and cons of that thing and i'll just let the paper make my decision for me and in the case of canyon uh the pros obviously were a lot of exposure uh possible record deal um, they travel in a tour bus. That was nice. It was comfortable. And I think the band I was in before that was a van and a trailer. And so I knew that Canyon had a tour bus. I would have my own bunk and everything. And I thought, oh, that's cool. That sounds good. Um, at least traveling will be comfortable. And, of course, the exposure was the main thing, you know. Uh, money wasn't as great. And I wasn't going to be a part owner in that band, and I knew that. So I just wrote that as one of the cons. You know, con is... I'll basically be considered a side guy. I'll be paid like a side guy, but I'll have to do all the stuff, dress up nice and be in all the pictures and go to all the you know things for free and all that stuff that I had to do for Canyon. Uh, I will still just make my normal salary, which I thought, okay, well, let's go to work and do it, and we'll see what happens. And I did, and that, I think, eventually paid off because over the course of five years of being with Canyon, I was able to um, get to where a lot of people knew who I was and they recognized my face because I had my mug on the front of uh, a couple of albums and I'd been in some videos before and done all these big shows and I sort of knew everybody. I sort of got to know all the other bands like Rustless Heart and Exile and Alabama and all those bands because we went out and did all those festivals and things. So that was a good, That was a. I think it was a good decision to, to join Canyon. And uh, when I left Canyon, uh, Steve Cooper, the lead singer, was just wanting to go solo, and I was just looking to do something different. Uh, I, I wanted to be in a band, and I also was looking to be a filmmaker, and I was trying to do that, too. And um, also, I did not want to move to Nashville at that time, and the Canyon organization was moving from Dallas to Nashville, which I ended up moving to Nashville anyway. So, uh, But that was a few years later. Um, as I was going to join this band that Michael Britt was in and uh, I was looking forward to playing with him again and uh, just getting back on stage and I thought I remember thinking to myself this might be one of the last opportunities that I have because I was just turning I just turned 30 Uh, this might be one of the last opportunities I have to be in a Recording artist type situation, and I I, mean, I I was totally wrong about that because I, obviously I could have, I was only thirty, I could have auditioned and you know been in bands and stuff like that, but at, that's where I was coming from at that time. That that was my thinking at the time was that this might be one of the good a good opportunity for me, um, and another opportunity like that may not come about ever again. You know that's what I was thinking. So I went up there and I joined the band, and everything worked out, and here I am. Um, but I was just saying about being a good decision-maker is you just have to be good at that. Just like you're good at playing your drums or you're playing the guitar or any other thing that you do, if you're a sound man or or whatever, you just have to be a good decision-maker. You have to be able to say no to certain things, and that's one thing I learned from a manager we had years ago named Gary Borman. Uh, He was a manager. He was our manager for a few years, and um, I I remember him sort of, saying that, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything just because someone asks you if you want to if that's an opportunity and you want to do it. Um, you have to get used to saying no. You have to you have to have a reason to say yes or to say no. And you you have to think about that reason and you have to look at the bigger picture. And I think he was able to kind of make me think that uh, you know, look at the bigger picture there. You know, he was a big picture kind of guy. And um so You just got to look at the bigger picture and figure out what is best for you. Whether being a side guy, which is nothing wrong with that, you know, you can be a side guy. I know guys that have been side guys forever, and they've made a good living. And I I know them, and they're famous, and they uh, they play in the studio, and they they they're with this band, and then they're now they're touring with somebody else, and then they get their veritable pick almost of whichever uh, group they want to play with, you know. And I know some. Guys, session players slash side guys. Uh, a good example is uh, Leland Sklar, the bass player, a famous bass player. He's a session guy, um, first and foremost, I believe. And then, but I mean, the guy you you always see him with uh, playing bass with um, Phil Collins or Genesis, or uh, then he'll play with James Taylor, and then you'll see him play with uh, like Lyle Lovett or somebody like that. It's just incredible. He just he's been around so long, and he's been a side guy for so long that. He just has that lifestyle that he looks, he probably has an agent that probably books him in the studio and finds things for him and just calls him every day and says, Hey, we got an opportunity to tour uh, from here to here, from this date to this date with this act, you know, and it pays this much money. And uh, he's able to make his living in this world by doing that, by just going project to project, band to band. And I bet that is just so much fun. The variety of being able to go and play with people like Phil Collins and James Taylor and things like that and just go from tour to tour like that and uh, run into the same people over and over again that you haven't seen in a while and just that kind of existence. And he's a great guy. He's he's on social media a lot. Um, If you get a chance to check him out, Leland Sklar, Lee Sklar, great bass player and sweetheart of a guy. I got to meet him one time in an airport, in the Nashville airport. We just saw him. He's very recognizable. He uh, has long... Grayish hair and a long beard. I mean, he looks like uh, he looks like a wizard. I mean, he really is a wizard in in all senses of the word. There's a the magic about that guy. He's just a great, great bass player, and he's been around since the '60s. I mean, and uh, still playing to this day. And he's a great player. hasn't lost a bit of his ability, and uh, he's a great guy. And he is a great example of be of how to be a great side musician and make a good living and be happy and do your thing. But then again, I am a happy person with Lone Star. I've always been very, very happy to be the drummer for Lone Star. And I hope that I will always be the drummer for Lone Star. And um, I will continue to uh, stand by that decision that I made back in 1994 to join the band lone star versus just like be a side guy or fill in or whatever uh, or or join another band or whatever that decision i will stand by that decision uh it's been such a great career and um will be a great career as long as the guys are willing to keep playing and the fans out there are willing to keep listening to our music and um come to our shows and enjoy our whatever whatever it is we do they seem to enjoy it um and keep enjoying that and uh, I will continue to be the designated drummer for our band Lone Star see what I did there did the design? okay yeah you know Um, so anyway hang in there and uh, make good decisions and think about every decision and write it down on a piece of paper and stand by your decisions and keep on making good ones and I will see you next time the next time I make the podcast designated drummer I'll be there for sure because I'm your designated drummer and who knows who I'll be talking to next See you.